a series uh, where we're looking at gospel stories um, of encounters that disciples have with Jesus. And we're going to continue that today. Um, we have a special treat. Diane uh, Cox is going to be sharing for us. And if you don't know Diane, Diane and Graham have been kind of mountainside adjacent for many, many years because their son Ryan was a part of our church years ago before he moved to Tennessee. And um, Diane and Graham, I think, got most got connected like on the weekly during COVID, right? Watching the smashing YouTube um, <laughs> presentations that we, we offered. So um, Diane brings a rich history with God um, and with the church. And um, I'm so thankful to hear from you today. And so if you know Diane or if you don't, let's welcome her with a round of applause. And we're going to hear from her today. Um, I want to mark the beginning of a new season and not be nervous anymore about stuff like this. Um, Growing up, speaking in front of groups was really easy for me, but um, some of what I'll share today is um, why that's not the case at, at this point or up to today. And so going forward, I hope that I get comfortable again just sharing, and especially sharing the, the goodness of God. So, um, uh, last week, Graham very helpfully um, offered to have a video of funny um, dog pictures and all, in, in case he needed to build, you know, bail me out. And I was like, okay, that's really sweet, and that's great, but um, I don't think I'll need that because I really do want to share. Um, this fall, um, so, we've been talking together about encountering God, stories of Jesus with ordinary people. We're asking ourselves, when have I encountered the divine, the mystery of Yahweh, the, the God that is a mystery? And how has that God shown up in our ordinary, everyday sort of lives? So I'm going to start with the scripture. Um, from there, he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. That's present-day Lebanon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it. But he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept begging to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first, for it's not proper to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, or the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For this saying, go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out, and her daughter lying in bed. So that's how Mark relates it. And then Matthew adds a few more details later on, I think decades later. 
writes, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Some say tormented. But he answered her, Not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. And he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It's not good to take children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. So, at least for me, at first and second glance, the story of Jesus encountering this woman seems really harsh. Terribly human and anything but divine.
saw this woman for who she was. And I don't think he was giving her the silent treatment. Um, part of that is just, you know, what you, what you bring to a story, what you feel about Jesus. And um, it continues to be a really hard lesson for me. It can feel like we're abandoned to silence, but I'm convinced that God's love is always speaking to us, always. It's us who go missing. In this story, I think Jesus was tired and pausing, hoping that the disciples would take over and do what he had been teaching them. I think Jesus was wanting them to draw her closer and take care of her needs the way he had just taught them how to feed the crowds. When they didn't, then he might have been taking a breath you know, like, oh, you're on my last nerve. <laughs> so he might have just been breathing um, to stay present to his father so that he could keep doing what he saw his Abba doing. Through his exhaustion and seeing them behave badly, I wonder if his tone of voice, um, I wonder about it, just what was his tone of voice? It's not proper to take the children's bread and give it to the little dogs. I wonder if it contained a little bit of dry humor. My dad and granddad were like that. You know, just on the edge of sarcasm, not really sarcastic, but enough to know that maybe you were being presented a riddle or something to figure out. I think there was just something in his voice that sounded rich and compassionate. I just think that's who he was. Also, Jesus knew his own reality. He knew how he had grown up. Jesus knew firsthand about unlikely godly women being in a world that didn't recognize them. He was raised by his mother Mary. His great-great-grandmothers, his ancestors, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, were all strong, brave, and wise women who were considered scandalous or rejected outsiders in their time. And they refused to let that be their identity or the identity of their children. Also, his family had escaped Herod's violent attempt to murder him, and, it, and uh, he and his family had become refugees in Egypt. Threats and rejection weren't new to him. He had empathy for her, and that had to show, even through his exhaustion. So Jesus also knew he was in a special prophetic location that he's mentioned before twice earlier in the Gospels. One of those times, Jesus was almost thrown off of a cliff by a crowd who were enraged that he said God deliberately showed favor to Elijah through a Gentile widow when there were plenty of Hebrew women that he could have shown favor to. Um, God chooses outsiders. The Gentile widow lived in the same geography where Jesus was standing hundreds of years later with this woman. So I don't think Jesus was doing exactly what the disciples were doing, quite the contrary. Jesus says, it's not what's outside coming into the body. Oh, no. In the stories that come just before this, in Mark and Matthew, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees and scribes, and they're talking about their legalistic, you know, concern with washing hands and being pure and clean. And Jesus says that they were nullifying God's intentions, God's heart with their traditions. And Jesus said, it's not what's outside coming in to the body, to the body that pollutes it. It's what comes from the inside that's important. 
so there's worms. There's worms. God created worlds with worms. The woman receives her daughter's freedom this way. It's what she says that Jesus commands. How often are we careless with our words? Before this, in Matthew 12, Jesus said, By your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. For this word, because of what you've said, go your way and the demon has gone out of you, your daughter. She somehow holds on to her hope in Jesus. She believes Jesus will feed her. Not just that, she answers with wit and humor. Who of us wouldn't want that, to have the right words at the right time, you know, when you're in a stressful situation. Uh, and she does it from a really humble place, you know, down. So she, you know, one gospel says she fell at his feet, and the other said she went and worshipped. We're not told how she came to have courageous faith. Maybe she'd do anything for her child, or maybe she was just a positive person with a good sense of humor. Maybe it was because she bowed and worshipped alone. Like I said, Mark doesn't include that part. Um, perhaps she already feared God like other Gentiles that Jesus commended for their faith. Seekers are able to see things differently in crucial times. Seekers stay open for blessing. One part that hits really close to home for me is where Jesus says it's not proper. It's not, it's not proper or good to take the children's bread. This woman is willing to push against proprieties that were interfering. Like I said, when I was younger, it was really easy to talk in front of people. Um, uh, it was also really easy for me to stand up to authority, to be more like this woman. But that was when I was little and maybe didn't know any better. Um, you know how that is. You get older. You start figuring more things out. Um, except God. For example, growing up, I thought girls... For example, growing up, I thought girls should be able to lead the flag salute for the student body, the same as the boys. And I thought that I should be able to get baptized, even if I wasn't 12 yet. And I also thought that junior high girls deserved to have a track team, even though the principal thought it was immodest. I stood up for what I thought was right, and when things didn't go that way, I shrugged and moved on, or so I thought. We bring aspects of our past with us even when we think we're moving onward and upward. Some hurtful experiences we have along the way, even as we're still growing and learning, can accumulate inside and mess with the identity of our true hearts that God is wanting to love into existence. I think of it sort of like internal spider webs that snag the flow of the spirit in our lives. I want to be like this woman and humbly keep pressing toward connection with Jesus for goodness I believe that when our experiences are forming a web of lies that's tangling us up, we can use our experiences the way that Jeremiah the prophet told the Jewish people to in Jeremiah 31. He said, set for yourself signposts that will remind you of God's faithfulness along the way and 
how to get back home. Years ago, I had a life experience that really, really tangled me up in the lie web and eventually gave me some signposts or ways of seeing that God still knew me thoroughly and was loving me still and holding me still. And um, it's still kind of in there. So great dream. This is our family of five. We were at a new church plant with a lot of people that we loved after being part of a loose sort of leadership team for some time there. I was accused over the course of a few months privately and occasionally in front of a handful of others by the pastor and his assistant of not submitting to their authority. They told me what my motives were. They talked to me about my body language and what it was telling them about me and what my bad intentions for the church were. And though none of it was true, their words took root and troubled my mind and my heart. Uh, for a while, Graham didn't really see what was going on, but I kept feeling chased down and judged about my behavior and the need not to do unspecified things that were divisive and rebellious. Ultimately, the pastor called and said I needed to come to the assistant pastor's house um, for an urgent meeting that night. These guys were dear friends at the time, slightly younger than me, with no formal pastoral education, and I really think they were doing the best they could at the time. Um, a couple of years before, they had seemed to really step up to carry some of the burdens of leadership for our loose-knit group that another really gifted friend had started in his home. But over time, things morphed in a really authoritarian direction, and I couldn't seem to truly take a stand for what I thought was right. I didn't want to rock the boat that my family was in. When the pastor called that afternoon to say I needed to be at this urgent meeting in a few hours, thankfully, I happened to be at coffee hanging out with a friend from a different church who knew what had been going on um, I told her that I was feeling alone, overwhelmed, and shamed. When I hung up with the pastor, she asked what was wrong. Prayerful friends can be really helpful with their outside view of things. I love that Sam. She suggested I just show up with Graham and the boys to the meeting since our whole family had relationships with the pastors and their families, and that we had a lot of other relationships. Even though I felt like that was kind of rude, um, it just seemed like God, you know, in my seeing that part of us that like all of a sudden feels a sense of peace, like, no, that's right. I never would have thought of that. I felt a sense of peace. Um, and when I went and talked to Graham, I was really relieved that he thought this was a good idea too. So we went that night. Um, with our sons, who were 17, 15, and 10 at the time. Um, the pastor said things to me that night that were really harsh um, and out of line, I think. I was grieved. My boys had to hear adults they loved and respected talk like that about me. We tried that night to talk as friends who could work things out. Um, they really wouldn't budge. They gave all of us the ultimatum that we had to agree to their view of authority and submission or leave their church. It was excruciating for all of us. 
car ride home that night. And I was a lot like this, you know, and just teary. Um, and the guys were angry and hurt. Uh, Graham went a few days later and tried to resolve things alone again with the pastor, saying he really wanted to remain friends, even if they wouldn't allow us back at church. But he said again that we couldn't be friends with him or with his family if we didn't recognize his leadership and follow him. Graham left the door open if he ever changed his mind. He never did pass yet. Our family felt gut-punched, and all of us were impacted in different ways that have continued to shape our stories. We all want and like immediate solutions best. I think I keep missing picture. Nope. Um, I imagine this woman and her daughter had suffered for a while before being with Jesus that day, and her daughter being set free from torment. I don't have any solutions or clear miracles, obviously. Um, uh, in our story, uh, as a family, redemption is still happening. Our spiritual journey as a family has ended up looking really, really different than I thought it would. But I want to trust that God is always good and always loving. And I am determined to press in for more redeeming grace to infuse our story. For me and for Graham and our kids, a whole lot of other challenging things happened in the months and years that followed. Seems like that sometimes, you know, one hard thing and then sort of in our disaster work, we call it cascading disasters, one event, and then other things that just sort of keep breaking down for a while after a disaster. Um, life really ripped up my interior landscape and caused me to question God and live with a whole lot of heart dilemmas I couldn't fix. I'm almost done, but the kids could just wait. Um, uh, I think I lost the ability to hear God's pleasure in me. In spite of knowing God still loved me and having others who cared and were in my life, I wasn't deeply convinced. I felt like I had failed, that if I had known how to do things better, uh, my family, my friends, uh, and I wouldn't have lost so much, hurt so much. I felt like I'd been responsible for building our collective house on sand. Uh, I went to the beach one winter day Years after we were excommunicated, um, we had stopped going to church altogether um, with a new journal that someone had given. Somehow I ended up writing really simple words of love that sounded like they were coming from God. I think that's how we learn to recognize God's voice. We spend time trying to listen for love. I did this time by accident. God's voice sounds like a better best friend than you've ever had who tells you how much they love you. And God does it over and over and over again. Um, and the, exactly the ways that you need. Um, God also cares enough to be honest about the metaphorical spinach that you have in your teeth or the toilet paper you've got. 
but I think mostly he just wants you to know how much you're loved. Um, I found that most of us need that. Um, perfect love casts out fear, and I think it casts out a lot of other things too. I felt like God was telling me that I needed to come back often to the beach and that there would be an ability and grace to do that. It wasn't easy or convenient and with the things going on in my life, with work and kids and whatever. But for quite a while, somehow, I got times at the ocean, at this or that beach, walking along with God or sitting and listening and writing what I heard in the journal. It's part of my life now, wherever I am. There have continued to be hard, dry spells, too. But Graham began to do this practice as well sometime after that. And there are times now that when I'm resistant to God, resistant to moving closer, um, maybe Graham was in a better place and he's listening to God and he shares it with me and it, it feels like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that. Um, and it, it helps me move close again. Um, another thing that loosens the lies um, in those interior webs is something I started doing when an Australian friend shared how much it was doing him good. He was reading through the Gospels at a good clip just over and over and over again, you know, like it was a good book. The fruit of it was showing up in his life in amazing ways. His testimonies those days were just amazing. He had some great stories. And um, I started to do, do the same thing, just read through the Gospels, you know. It was like getting to know Jesus all over again. Um, like lots of things that work for a season, I tapered off, but occasionally now I'll be reminded and use a Bible app to just play the Gospels. Uh, sometime back, I made a playlist of chapters that had lots of red letter text that was, and that was helpful. Um, I forget what translation I used, um, but I had to keep looking because I didn't like how some of the guys were reading the Bible. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I don't think that's how Jesus sounded. Um, uh, I also like the Bible experience. I don't know if you know that one, but um, uh, it's a dramatic reading by a great cast with period background noises. Um, I need to be in the mood for it, but boy, sometimes it breaks me out of my belief in the lies um, about myself. Um, maybe you consider trying these things too, listening for the voice of love and reading or listening to the Gospels on repeat. I don't know how this Syrophoenician woman was able to remain calm and unoffended and respond in a way Jesus called out his faith. It's quite a contrast to what he said on repeat to the disciples, though. You know, how he just kept saying, oh, you have little faith, or you guys don't get it, right? You know, I just, like, but he said to this woman, this outsider, this one who felt maybe like she didn't belong, um, that, um, that her faith that what she got made her whole, made her daughter whole. So I want to leave you with one of my signposts. This is love, not that we first love God, but that God loves us first. It's so simple. Jesus loves you, as I know. So God loves you, beloved, and he pulls you in close.